Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standig Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I spent the last two days at the team's mandatory minicamp. Interesting as always. Lots going on with this team as always. You know about that. <laughs> um, football is going to be the main focus of this episode. I promise you that. The guest, Logan Paulson. We spoke the first week of OTAs with the point of saying, here, we want to get your view of the world now, and then we're going to ask you when this is all over for, this, for the off-season program, your views then. That's the conversation Logan and I will have here in a few minutes. Uh, so that's going to be a lot of fun for sure. I know I have a lot of questions uh, about what I've seen and more importantly, what he has seen out here. I want to ask him about uh, Jamin Davis, his evolution. Want to ask him about some roster sleepers. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll talk about um, the quarterback as well and, and rookies and all that good stuff. So a, it will be a fun conversation, I am sure, with Logan Paulson, who of course you can find on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N 82. Uh, he does his film breakdowns there. He's also, of course, on the Commander's website and has a podcast, the Take Command podcast. So you can uh, check him out there. Uh, so we'll get to that in, in, a, in a moment. And I'm going to give you just a couple, couple of my own thoughts from what we've seen so far during OTAs. Uh, quickly, though, oh, and of course, uh, again, if, you, if you're not already, go to iTunes, click the subscribe, go, go find this podcast, click the subscribe button, and that way you won't miss them anymore. Whenever anything comes up, we're going to keep them going, even during the break. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit less frequent, but, uh, you know, two a week probably is, is within range, which is what we've been doing for the most part anyway. So iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting, sub- hit the subscribe button, go do it right now, and then we're all, and then we're all good. That helps all of us all the way around and of course you can also find me on the athletic uh had stories the last couple of days over there today's story was about the fact that warren Sapp was at practice and we spoke to him about what he's doing there his view of the defense but also i think a lot of things that he was saying about what he's trying to emphasize to the team is pertinent to this specific team especially in that this group as talented as they are up front they just kind of felt like they were just not in sync last year and warren Sapp had some great quotes, including basically the best defensive lines work together as a pack. The lone wolf starves and or dies or whatever he said. So a, a fun conversation there. You can, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to, uh, or you can go read, you can go read that over on the athletic. I also wrote about day one, which was primarily about the fact that there's always a lot going on, but day one is a lot about the Terry McLaurin contract circumstance. He obviously did not show up at minicamp this week and i try to break that down as to what's going on there with some inside uh joel Corey, who was a guest on this podcast the other day got his thoughts in there as well so you can go check that out on the athletic uh all right just a couple quick things about today um i don't want to talk about this too too much because we'll get the logan here but you know i um it's sort of a habit, I guess, for reporters to tweet out sort of not every play, of course, but like a play by play of what's happening at practice. And, you know, honestly, uh, doing that can distract you from the point of being there, which is to watch practice. And also, over time, what I've come to realize is that 
because we're tweeting out or speak for myself, but this is, I think, the case for most people, we tend to tweet out about the great plays and the not so great plays and avoid the mundane. And thus it feels like every play is some extreme. And depending on whether something good or bad happens, that's going to shape the conversation for a lot of people or not the conversation. It's going to shape the impression for a lot of people who obviously are not there. Um, Today was alumni day. So a bunch of alumni was there and there were some fans there the last couple of days as well. But by and large, obviously anybody who's listening to this was probably not there. I mentioned this because Carson Wentz is obviously a big focal point of everything that's going on around here. And today was a day where I feel like if I had tweeted consistently about what he was doing i don't think people would have been thrilled um obviously i don't know what the play calls are i don't know if the receivers ran the right routes the defense is aware of what the offense is running you know they they they, maybe not the exact play but they know sort of they're gonna use you know three receivers or you know multiple backs or what have you and are adjusting, you know, sort of accordingly in ways that obviously they wouldn't be able to in real time as well. But okay, all that said, whereas I thought Carson Wentz was showing some decent play the last few weeks of OTA, again, I did miss the third OTA session because uh, I was sick. But, you know, from what I could see, I thought the last couple of days I saw more errant throws than I had before. And, you know, there's some success on some plays down the field and, and, um, so some things like that, but in general, there were a lot of like, where's that throw kind of going? And I don't say this to be an alarmist. I'm just saying this to be, this is sort of how it, how it went. Um, and I, uh, you know, again, look, there's no Terry McLaurin. Uh, Charles Leno was not out there today. Don't know why exactly, but we'll find out hopefully tomorrow from Ron Rivera. Uh, he wasn't there. Cornelius Lucas also wasn't out there and again it's 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 they're in shorts there's no pads it's nothing to be alarmed about i'm just saying that if you're you know i wanted to explain sort of why i'm not tweeting as much at practice but also to use the carson wentz as an example um because today felt a bit rougher the last couple days to me felt a bit rougher i'll be curious to see what logan paulson has to say um on that front uh, because he's you know Obviously, he's for him watching these practices is a different deal. He knows exactly what's happening at all times um, and has a better feel just having obviously been a player. So um, I still think that Carson Wentz obviously raises the ceiling of this offense because of his size. Uh, you know, there, were, there was at least one or two times where there's an, a pat, uh, you could feel a good pass rush. I remember one Montez Sweat's coming off the edge. He's getting in there to Wentz. Wentz steps up in the pocket doesn't have much room to really step up, but because of his size and arm strength, he was still able to fire off a a solid, strong throw into, it was a red zone drill. I don't believe he completed the particular pass, but you could just see the the benefit that that size is going to give this offense because he's able to just, you know, obviously see over the top in ways that Taylor Heineke could not um, as easy last year. And, you know, the arm strength is apparent uh, on the uh, Tuesdays practice i i tweeted out it was a drill before uh going 11s where he just threw an absolute dart to john bates and it's just more of the velocity I mean, there was no defensive back in the play but just the the, the lot the velocity on the throw coming from a six foot five quarterback was was notable to me 
but the last couple of days maybe just weren't he was not as sharp uh, as I as I thought I saw him to be earlier in camp. We'll, we'll ask Logan again what did he think about that. Um, Fedarian Mathis was not at practice today with an illness as well. Curtis Samuel was back on the side field and early in practice, and then he um, was a, an observer the rest of the way. He did miss some time last week with this general soreness. He did participate Tuesday. Not today. We'll have to get a, an update from Ron Rivera there. I don't want to every time the guy misses a practice say, oh, boy, here we go again. But obviously, we also have to stay vigilant because we know what happened last year. But for the moment, we're going to stay positive. We're just say they're, 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 they're being cautious, and that's the way that it is. So be it. Um, by the way, there is a third. The day three of minicamp is still scheduled for Thursday. They often cancel the third day and just sort of give the guys a break. They haven't yet. Now we as reporters are going to be out there one way or the other because of something else that they've have scheduled for us. But at the moment, practice is happening. My guess will be it's either going to be shortened, truncated, or some guys won't be there. We'll see. But nonetheless, that's the uh, the general plan there. Uh, the other thing, just quickly, um, it's notable today. We we were uh, with regards to Dan Snyder, Roger Goodell, and Congress. Um, Dan Snyder sent a letter to the oversight committee saying he will not be attending the hearing next week on Capitol Hill. Meanwhile, Roger Goodell said he will participate. He will do so virtually, but he will participate. Um, the fact I, I don't think it should shock anybody that Dan Snyder isn't going to isn't going to be part of this. Now, in the lawyer, I'm sorry, in the letter that he sent to Congress. It, it talked about he had some plans, couldn't easily, you know, couldn't, uh, couldn't easily get out of it and talked about how Congress was not exactly uh, working with him. I'm trying to pull this up here really quick. Um, I had a, a, a source say to me that, um, you know, he's that Mr. Snyder, that quote, Mr. Snyder remains willing to continue cooperating with the committee, but is unable to attend the June 22nd hearing uh given the committee's disregard for due process take that for all what it's worth i didn't anticipate that he would attend now again there's no subpoena here and i think that's going to be the interesting point this was going to be coming on his own free will will the oversight committee subpoena him now for for a, a hearing at some other time i guess we'll have to see if they do that i i don't know that i anticipate that that'll happen but that is a way to get him to talk but either way, Roger Goodell will be there, and I'm, and I'm sure we've seen a Roger Goodell press conference. He's adept at avoiding answering questions, but at the same point, he will be there, and I, I, I will be curious to see what he says, if anything, about Dan Snyder. He's going to be asked at some point, not only about his own handling of the, the Wilkinson report and other investigations, but just you know, sort of Dan Snyder himself. We'll be curious to see what Goodell says on that front. Um, all right. Let's just end it there. Let's get to Logan Paulson. Uh, excited to talk to Logan. And uh, let's do that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. As promised, here he is, um, your go-to analyst for all things about the commanders. He is uh, Logan Paulson, of course, who's got the uh, Instagram that you, with, the, with his film breakdowns uh at logan underscore paulson 82 plus he's got yep. the take command podcast uh as well so there's always logan paulson in the world but now you're gonna get him right here on the pod on my podcast 
which is where I, exactly where I want to be. So really excited for this. Sure, sure. You, 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 you of course, that's where everybody wants to be. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, man, I appreciate it. So we talked <clears throat> last on here. It was like a couple days into OTAs, and the point was, yep. all right, we're going to do a before and after. We're going to talk at the beginning, and then we're going to talk at the end and see what's changed, what's evolved. Um, there will We're talking on Wednesday night. We be, I believe there's going to be another day of mini camp practice tomorrow, Thursday. They have not canceled it. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But we'll see. It could be a truncated version, or some guys might be out. But it feels like we're kind of at the end. If there's more to tackle yeah. on, well, I'll, I'll deal with that later. Um, but anyway, so we're, we're at the conclusion, and now we get to go on a break. How are you feeling? I know you weren't out there hitting and running around, but you, <laughs> how, how do you feel after all this? Man, I just really like watching football. I realize I really enjoy kind of the analytical elements of it. And so this this is kind of like scratching that itch. It's, you know, getting getting my fix, so to speak, of getting to actually watch some NFL football. And it's not, you know, the highest level of football you're going to see over the course of the 2020 year 2022. But it's it's something. And that's always exciting for me. So, um, you know, with regards to takeaways from today and, and the mini camp period, like, um, it's been crazy watching drawn pain be out there. Cause like his twitch and his explosiveness, you know, it hasn't been out there this whole time. And so comparing him kind of one-to-one with Allen one-to-one with Fedarian, you really see what he brings to that defensive front and why he's such a dynamic element in that group. So I think, you know, kind of in conjunction with, uh, with him and, uh, the rest of the defense, they looked, uh, they looked like they had their hair on fire a little bit today. They were running some new blitz, uh, packages running some new uh, pressure schemes and uh looked quite dynamic which is um which is something that wasn't necessarily true of the entire ota period well let, let's let's start there i was going to start with the quarterbacks but that's always a uh, mm. boring that's, we always do that so let's start there since you since you brought it up and obviously the defensive line you know today at practice for us on the reporter end one of the highlights was that warren sap was yeah. out there today that we were, well, I guess technically he was there Tuesday and none of us noticed. <laughs> I didn't go over to that side of the practice field as much. So I just didn't notice him. Um, but he, what we did notice him today and he told us what his thoughts were on the defensive line. And obviously there's no chase young, but all the other guys are there. And, you know, I'm not saying that last year's defensive collapse was 100% on the defensive line, but it mm-hmm. wasn't not because those guys didn't, they didn't play up to their standard collectively and if they're going to have mm-hmm. a turnaround this year it won't be solely because of that line but at the same point it's going to be a lot about that line so to yeah. that end you mentioned um Duran Payne and obviously there's been a lot of talk about him potentially because of his contract or what have you but mm-hmm. one of the reasons you want to keep this guy is he's really good at football yeah. and um the stuff he can do inside so you just mentioned a, a, a little bit like what uh it does, it feels like he's I guess it feels like he's underrated right because of the four guys John Allen had a breakout year last year and the two yeah. ends are more the flashier position it feels like Payne's a breakout guy what are we all sort of overlooking with him um do you, do you think well it was interesting to watch him like play a three he played nose a little bit too today but just how disruptive he was and how quick he was off the ball like his ability like his athleticism I think was the thing that really stood out to me you know I've been watching Fedarian and Fedarian is a unique athlete in the sense that he understands kind of how to use his leverages and manipulate angles, but not very twitchy. And then so you put a guy in there who it's funny you mentioned Warren Sapp, but is more akin to that skill set in terms of foot speed, hand speed, body quickness, body like kind of mobility. And um, and it just kind of jumped off the screen, you know, and maybe because it hadn't been there for three weeks when you're watching practice to see it like his first two reps of team run today 
for tackles for loss, like undoubtedly in my mind. He quick swam the guard on one. He backed toward the double team, was able to run down the running back on the next one. And his presence was just kind of immediately there and like what it did for the energy of the defense. Um, obviously having Montez out there for that same period, like you just see kind of what makes these guys top end draft picks, what makes them some of the best guys in the NFL at their respective positions. So, um, you know, it was good to see that, good to kind of remind me like what he brings to the team, you know, and why he feels like he needs a contract extension. So um, I don't think he's going to get one until Terry gets done, obviously, but I do think um, he definitely is kind of like saying, hey, guys, don't forget about me with his performance today. And it isn't it isn't uh, shorts and T-shirts or whatever, but, um, you know, like still it, they're, they're playing physical football out there. So um, I thought he did a nice job. Right. And and just to be you know, to be clear, Duran has been around. He was around for most of the OTA. Yeah. He kept skipping the team drill. So you didn't get to see yeah. him going up against the the other the offensive line um, and things along those lines. One one thing that the when I was watching because Warren Sapp was there, I was watching the defensive line unit drills a lot. And what they were doing today was having like four man combinations go sort of mm-hmm. at a hypothetical pocket and mm. they were trying the point of this exercise was to communicate so that sometimes maybe the left defensive end would spin inside mm. the left defensive tackle would shoot towards you know sort of behind him underneath mm. and things were trying to work in concert so that you're not just rushing the passer as individuals you're rushing it as a group and obviously last year one of the problems was that they weren't doing that that you would have guys yeah. sort of going off script Rivera was frustrated by that, especially in the first half of the year. Um, how much are you noticing? I, I, don't, I don't know if that, I assume that's something that probably gets discussed all the time, but because of this team, I was paying attention to it more. How much do you think there is there more of an emphasis on that type of deal this year? And have you noticed sort of a, a an upgrade or an uptick in, in, in what they're doing there? I think it's hard to know exactly if there's been an upgrade or an uptick. They, they do seem to be communicating a little bit better. They do have, you know, I didn't realize this, but they do have different, rush kind of calls you know what I mean to kind of emphasize the type of rush that they're looking for in certain situations whether the cornerback the quarterback is accounted for by like a linebacker or a secondary player or whether it's on the d-line to contain the quarterback and how that dictates their rush angles so obviously like there's a level of nuance there that you know even though I played in the NFL for a long time I didn't understand that level of nuance and so I think it's great to have a guy like Warren Sapp in there to help kind of you know, drive home that point of communication. And you have seen some sharp rushes and guys understanding where they fit in the rush. And obviously the guys that struggled the most with it last year um, haven't done a lot of practicing, you know, like uh, Duran was a guy who had a really hard time with that in terms of he's, he's good at creating pressure, but not always in the most, in the most disciplined way. And then Chase was the other guy who really kind of had a tough go, you know, in terms of kind of buying into the rush pattern, rush philosophy, and he's not practicing. So Montez, you know, does a great job with that. Casey, uh, James Smith-Williams, they, they, all three of those guys on the edge do a really nice job understanding how they fit in the rush. And John, obviously, is, uh, is, a, is a pro's pro when it comes to that stuff. So, um, you know, and Fredarian's kind of MO coming out of college. We talked to Ron, we talked to the scouting department. They say, you know, he, he knows how he fits in a defensive line rush and a defensive front. And obviously that was on full display. So it'll be interesting, you know, as moving into training camp, if guys like Duran and if Chase is practicing, which it seems unlikely at this point, how they are buying into the new, you know, kind of whole, uh, the defensive front rush, I guess, to, to put it succinctly. Okay. Um, you mentioned uh, James Smith-Williams. He's been starting effectively wherever at, at one end with Chase Young out. I say starting. I mean, you know, he's working with the other yeah. logical 
starters and then you've got all the other guys coming behind them the two hills and the shaka tonys and whatever yeah. mathis was not practicing today because of an illness mm. so it didn't get a chance to get a closer look what was going on there but obviously as important as the defensive linemen are they don't play every snap you've got to have other guys coming in to contribute has anybody been kind of standing out to you more uh, as you've been watching over these last three or four weeks as somebody you know just just jumping out to you as you're watching well, quite frankly, James Smith-Williams and Casey Tua have done a great job. You know, they've just been uh, very consistent. I think James, in terms of fitting runs and playing physically and, you know, developing – he's not the best pass rusher in the world, but developing some nuance there I think has been good. And then I think Casey Tuhill has flashed. You know, of the defensive linemen, he's – I don't want to say he's the most explosive, but in terms of vertical jump, 40-time, he's got the fastest of the group. And I think it's starting to show up for him a little bit, which is great. You know, he's always been a dynamic special teams player for this group, but he's been able to create some like nice individual pressures, which is something you didn't see from him a ton last year against the one offensive line. And, you know, he's kind of been, I don't want to say dominant, but very, very um, engaged and very, very ready to go against the twos. And then he showed some nice pursuit stuff. So again, like, I think you feel good about where both those guys are at this point in the off season in terms of their development. And obviously them playing last year, is a big part in that development, right? So I think they went from guys who are big question marks to guys that, you know, I don't know if they could start for other teams, but are definitely rotational pieces on other teams. And so that's, you feel good about that if you're this team, you know, I think that's awesome. And I think the other uh, variable is obviously having that three line, uh, three man rotation on the interior uh, defensive line, getting pain back, having Fidarian out there, I think is going to be kind of a much improved unit because, you know, as much as I love Matt and playing with him, he was a guy who was kind of, doing his own thing, you know, in, in terms of run fits, kind of gap releasing in his rush, not always rushing where he's supposed to, obviously a very dynamic pass rusher, but getting guys who are going to do what they're supposed to in there, I think is going to elevate this group and then elevate the subsequent levels of the defense. So I think if you're a Washington fan, I, you know, obviously Chase is hurt. And I think you want one of the freakiest dudes in the NFL to be playing on your defensive line. But, um, you know, I think those two backup guys have done a really nice job and both have kind of carved out a more um, NFL ready identity for themselves, which is exciting to see. And obviously, you know, a lot, a lot of football still have to be played, but you know, I'm encouraged by what I've seen. Um, all right. So you mentioned watching Deron Payne and what he's been able to do against the offensive line. Yeah. Okay. So let's just talk about the offensive line. Then uh, Charles Leno yeah. was out today. So was Lucas Lucas with an illness. I'm not sure where, where Leno was. We'll hopefully maybe get an update from Ron Rivera tomorrow last time i went so i went as i said i went back and listened to our conversation and one question i asked you was what's your what was your biggest concern entering otas and you said mm-hmm. uh, by the way i bet you love it when i'm going you said because you're like oh crap what did i say um you said that going into otas your biggest concern would have been the guards but having yeah. just based on watching andrew norvell and trey turner for a couple of days you felt no yeah. no okay they're they're vets they're competent yeah, they're good. So that said, you, you mentioned Deron Payne yeah. do, showing some good things. And obviously, Deron Payne and John Allen are good players. So it's not like, yeah, it's not a shame if they're getting the better end of the guards. Right. But that said, what was your view of the interior line? And I guess largely it's been West Schweitzer at center with the yeah. Chase Rue out. So what's been your view of, of the line, in particular, those guys in the middle? Well, Wes Schweitzer has been outstanding at center. You know, he's, he's done a really nice job. I love his, I love his mindset when it comes to playing football. He's just a dude, a big, nasty, decent athlete in the run game, you know, physical guy. And I love that at the center position. I think uh, with rule. Yeah. I think you feel very, very good about West Springs. I think he gives you excellent depth on the interior at any guard spot. So that's great. 
Um, I think Norwell, you see some of, I think he's very, very sharp. I think he's dialed in. I think you see some of his athletic limitations at times, especially when Allen's rushing against him. And Allen's just been so savvy. Like there was a period of time where he was just kind of taking it easy. on I want to say like the fifth or sixth practice, it just kind of sparked for him. And then every play pass period, he's getting pressures. Every, you know, move the ball period, he's getting pressures. And um, yeah, not exposing the guards, but, you know, definitely giving the guards some work, you know, Trey Turner also. So I think there are some, you know, there were some limitations to those guys and those limitations as the camp, as the OTA period went on kind of revealed themselves. But I still think you feel pretty good about what they bring from an experience standpoint. They're guys who know what to do. They're good football players. Um, and I think um, and I think the way they use them, the ways the way they this scheme uses guards, I think you feel OK about them playing a lot of time for you. And, you know, the great thing about this team right now is that there's a lot of depth, rotational depth on the interior. So you feel pretty good about that. I think the big thing, the glaring thing as camp went on that, that kind of came to light was obviously you feel good about Leno. Obviously you feel good about Lucas. Obviously you feel good about Cosme, but there's not really another tackle on the roster that could play. And some teams carry four tackles. And so you don't really, I know they've messed around with Sadiq playing tackle and having a guy like Lucas is a tremendous luxury. I just would like them to have another piece, a guy that could maybe develop, a guy that was showing flashes, a guy that maybe was on P-Squad that could bump up and down that played tackle. But um that's not been the case. So I think um, in terms of training camp, offseason moves, I think that's something to uh, to definitely keep an eye on because they've got, you know, a cornucopia of guards. They just only got, they only have the three tackles at this point. Yeah. And for what it's worth, Charles last week missed, he was on the side a little bit with a leg muscle issue, yeah. but he was out there this week. So I guess it was not a big deal. And you're right. When you, I love the 53 man projections. And when yeah. I got to the line, I was like, Oh man, there's not even like a fourth guy to debate. There's just yeah. nobody, unless, uh, you know? Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. Um, Last question here on the guards, because of the center situation, we haven't even had like the quote unquote competition between mm-hmm. Norvell, T- Trey Turner and Wes Schweitzer. Cause Schweitzer has been in the middle. I actually kind of wonder if Schweitzer showing what he can do at center, maybe it's bad news for Tyler Larson whenever he comes back and Keith Israel, yeah. but that aside, do you think there's any chance that there's a Schweitzer, Turner, Norvell, Norwell competition in some way once Chase Ruiz is back, or is that we don't even know when Chase Ruiz will definitely be back? So yeah, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good question, and I do think Wes has earned that opportunity based on how he played last year. I know he's coming off an injury; he didn't play the last couple of games of the season, but I th- I think he's earned that opportunity. And again, like he has some holes in his game from a pass protection standpoint, but. I think you can trust him from a mental standpoint. I think you can trust him from an X's and O's standpoint. So I would like to see him get a shot. You know, I'd like to see him get a shot at, at playing some football at the guards position if really is back. But I think right now he's got you, if you're a Washington football team fan, commanders fan, you feel pretty good about um, about where he's at. You know what I'm saying? About where uh, where the center position is. And, and again, you know, I, I think he deserves a shot at the guard, but I'm not making that call. You know, like that's um, – that's a Moscow decision and um, he's, he's been fantastic so far. So I'm not going to second guess that. Um, all right. So we've just talked about, so we just mentioned Chase Rie who spoke today and he's gone, he's gone through a lot in his rehab from his uh, fibula and some and ankle issues. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Chase young who told us the other day that he had to have the patella from his non-injured knee graft. So I'm not a doctor grafted to put yeah. on his other knee yeah. And then we also have Logan Thomas, who did talk to us uh, this week, and he basically said he's hoping he's for week one, but he kind of said, eh, we'll see. If not, I'll, I'll, it's yeah. okay. Like, he didn't sound like I'm overly confident that he's going to get there. 
I don't know if either any of these guys are going to be ready for week one based on where we're at today. So based on that, I'm not asking you to play doctor on them, but like which one of those things for you is more concerning, both in terms of the player who would be missing, but also who would be filling in like that they, you know, at any of these spots, which is the bigger concern for you, do you think? Um, That's a really good question. I think as of right now, I think you feel good about West at center. I just said that. Obviously, the defensive end rotation is fine. Obviously, Chase is a different caliber of athlete, so you want him back as soon as possible. But I think based on the report and based on some doctors I've spoken to, that is like a pipe dream. Like, he's going to miss some time this year, you know? And um, and so, like, I'm not even counting. He's not going to be ready until, like, week eight, week 10 maybe. So let's just – I'm not even going to debate that. So to me, I guess the biggest concern at this moment is the absence of Logan Thomas – Probably. And I think, you know, I was very high on the tight ends early on in training camp. Bates has been fantastic. Um, Cole Turner's looked good. But again, him and Hodges both had a hamstring injury um, earlier in OTAs. And they kind of they were they started off incredibly hot, looking fantastic, looking like they were ready to go. Injuries. Cole Turner's been back and looked good. But again, they haven't been featuring in the offense the way you'd kind of hope for a guy who's going to be potentially replacing Logan Thomas and obviously Hodges who had this tremendous, I guess I want to say a four day period hasn't practiced since then. So, you know, again, more questions are raised there. And I think that's something that is, um, it's going to be a little bit worrisome, you know, cause you're going to, you're asking for a lot of growth from two guys who I think are capable of it. But again, you know, they just didn't practice as much as you like to see them practice during this phase. Um, and again, they started off excellent. You, I remember talking about on the show with you, how excited I was about them. And, yeah. and then it was just, it was disappointing that they never kind of got back into it, I guess. So. Yeah. Hodges has been on the side field basically for the last, I don't know, three weeks, but yeah, yeah. most of OTAs. So I haven't even had a chance to watch him as much since you see, you, you know, yeah. said, Hey, watch, go, go watch yeah. this guy. Yeah. Um, just to clarify, because I want to make sure I heard this right on the on the Chase Young thing. Again, we know you're not a doctor, but you're a football yeah. player who's gone through injuries. Did you say you think he may not even play for in, even into the middle of the season? Or I, I know you don't know, yeah. but like that, that I don't know. I don't know. But I've heard that the recovery on that graft procedure is uh, much different in terms of timetable. And I've talked to I've talked to a couple of doctors and everyone's situation is different. So please don't go yeah. quote me from a medical standpoint on this. But the graft takes a little bit longer in terms of having to like essentially adhere to your bone. You know what I mean? And so that process kind of sets you back a longer time period. Now it it usually holds a little bit better because you're using an actual ligament to replace your your ligament. But again, like it, it, it puts your rehab back. I want to say he said two months, you know what I mean? You know, in terms of timetable, in terms of getting the flexion markers and all those different things. So obviously everyone handles surgeries and rehabs differently but, you know, and I think Chase made the best decision for his career. There's no doubt about that in my mind, given his team and, and the research he's going to put into his body and invest there. But again, the, the timetable is different. It's a different surgery than what Logan Thomas did. And it's going to take a little bit of time to get that thing right, I think. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get to the uh, let's get to the quarterbacks. Uh, so when yep. we talked last time with Carson Wentz, all I said yeah. was, look, you watch him out there and you can see the physical traits. He's way taller than the last guy. He's got the arm strength. You can see why from a, a ceiling standpoint that this offense should be at another level. That said, it's a, you still have to throw accurate passes and read the defenses and all these types of things. So we were discussing sort of his comfort level last time. What's your view of his comfort level now that we are, um, you know, uh, several weeks later? And again, yeah. you know, you know they're, in, they're in shorts. Terry McLaurin's not out there, all these things. But 
that said, what's your view of Carson Wentz's comfort level now uh, several weeks later? So they've had nine OTAs, 10 OTAs, and then they've had two minicamp practices. Is that right? Am I Cor- correct? Some? Yep. Yeah. And so I'd say for those nine OTA practices, he looked very, very sharp, very, very sharp. I, I mean, I could count probably on one hand, Aaron throws like he had two, the first three practices, he had one, the next one, and then one in, in the last chunk of three. So if you think about it, it's four bad throws over the course of maybe five, you count one of the interceptions, which I don't think was his fault. But again, you're five, five bad throws for a lot of throws during a, a, a lot of weeks of practice, which is pretty impressive. And then um, he comes to minicamp. And I, like I said, the, the defense has been playing with a, a kind of a new enthusiasm, I'm going to say. Like they just look very sharp. And I think a little bit of that is obviously the defensive line play. They've been very aggressive from a blitzing standpoint. They've really been challenging um, some of the protections of the commander's offensive line and the running backs and the rules there. And then they've also kind of settled in, I think, very nicely on the back end with regards to Cam Curl, um, Bobby McCain, and Benjamin St. Juice playing the nickel. And they just look much sharper in that role. And I think with the pressures heating up, with the the coverage getting better in the middle of the field, William Jackson the third over the first two days of minicamp has looked, I don't want to say like a different player, but he's just kind of putting himself in better positions to make plays. And um, and the pressure seems to have uh, kind of unsettled Carson Wentz a little bit. And you saw, like I saw five Aaron throws today. You know what I mean? So again, like just a different vibe from him over these two days. And I give a lot of credit to Jack Del Rio and that defense and what they've been doing. And they, it seems like the defense was kind of finding their footing a little bit. And now they've settled in in a really nice way. So I think that that is um, encouraging. And um, inside, exciting from a defensive perspective, but it also shows some of Carson's the things that make you worried about him, you know, in terms of his kind of mental fortitude, his ability to handle pressure. Um, you see him kind of making some questionable decisions in the pocket when the pressure comes. Like he thinks he's getting pressure, but it's phantom pressure. So he ends up rolling out into a pressure, which is stuff that he did in Indy late in the year last year. So again, like that stuff is part of his game. Like we've known that it just took three weeks for it to kind of pop up. And I, like I said, I give Jack a lot of credit, give the defense a lot of credit, give the personnel moves on the back end, a lot of credit. And um, obviously, um, you know, like Charles Leno's not practicing, Lucas isn't practicing. That's a factor there, but that's something that this team went through last year. So kind of gives you kind of uh, something to think about moving into training camp with the protection issues and his play. Yeah, no, uh, that's interesting. And, and I'm going to let everybody here who's listening you know, catch their breath. Yeah. Okay. Again, it's, it's early, it's practices. And, and, and like it, this happens, like this is part of the, like, this is, you don't see practice every day. Like when you're in the NFL, like people have days like this, they have periods like this. And I, one of the reasons that does happen is because like the emphasis of the day changes, right? So let's say for example, I can move the ball today. We're working in 11 personnel. The defense knows that. So they call pressures to beat 11 personnel and then they challenge your rules, you know? And when that happens, like pressure burst pipes, and coverages that you've seen, like they've evolved as the OTA period's gone on. They've got a little bit sharper, got a little bit tighter. So am I surprised by it? No. Um, is it something that is like that I was expecting? I don't know if that's, I'm going to go that far, but it, it, it's, it shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be too alarming. But again, this is part of who he is. And this is, it'll be interesting to see if um, somebody to keep an eye on. Let me just say that. Somebody to keep an eye on moving into training camp. Um, in the intro, I mentioned that I've been really not tweeting play-by-play during yeah. these practices, largely because I'm trying to focus on the thing. But also, like, I because we, we talked about this when we did the, the previous episode, that 
the day one, I was tweeting the positive things about just watching Wentz, but then I mentioned he had just thrown a pick, and yeah. everybody like yelled at me, "Oh, you're focusing on all the negatives." Like, you know what? Yeah. Screw this. I'm just gonna because if you, I, I, we, we don't tweet about the mundane. We tweet the guy throws a 50 yard bomb right. or there's a pick, so it feels like it's extreme either way. So I just sort of stopped. Yeah. But today, right. what I was no- saying was, if if I had done that. I don't think people would have liked it because it felt like there was a lot of throws where you're like, uh, yeah, that. And you don't know, of course, I don't know what the, what the play call is or if the receiver screwed up. And like you said, the defense has a, a feel for what's coming, but it wasn't, it didn't yeah. look like a guy that was sharp today. So I'm interested. I'm, it was curious to hear you say kind of those things also. Yeah. And I think again, like it's part, it, everyone has their up and down days. I think it's interesting that it went, it was so good. I mean, it was about as good, like I said, nine practices, 10 practices, five bad throws. And then, you know, over the last two days, you're probably looking at maybe six or seven, which is a big difference, you know, in terms of uh, production and and, uh, efficacy. So obviously, like, again, I don't want to be an alarmist. Like, we're just talking football here. This is part of the process. It's early in the offseason. But yeah, he did look, um, he looked unsettled today. He looked unsettled yesterday for whatever reason. Um. Okay, fair enough. Uh, because you've gone through all this, you have a feel for how important OTAs and these mini yeah. camps are. So, in recent days, Jack Del Rio, like the, at the beginning of OTAs, brought up the idea that because some guys on defense missed practices, OTAs last year, even like the second phase of OTA, which isn't even yeah. the on the field stuff, that that set the defense back a bit. And Ron Rivera yeah. then concurred. Okay, cool. But Ron Rivera, and I get it, he's going to spin things positively, but he's saying that because Terry McLaurin isn't out, he doesn't see this as an issue in terms of the lack of reps with Wentz. And I was like, well, wait a minute. You just said over here that this was an issue last year. And he said, well, the difference is that the defense was like a lot of guys were out. And here we're only talking about the one player. But my thinking is since the one player affects the most important player, Carson Wentz, Mm. who's new, you're putting a lot into it. It seems like it's notable. I know you don't have to sign terry mclaurin to a hundred million dollar deal for for minicamp but i'm just saying from your perspective does it matter the fact that they're not there or is it really not that big of a deal you got two vets and even though they don't know each other that well they'll figure it out um i think i think i agree with ron to a certain extent it it is somewhat of an unfair comparison because a lot of the issues on the defense last year were caused by classroom stuff and i'm a big believer in the ota period minicamp period phase two which is like the weightlifting meeting conditioning phase is it just lays the foundation from an install education standpoint and a lot of the issues they were having on the defensive end especially and especially with that group it's like offensive line right you need to work with each other work on passing stuff off and so the fact that those guys were there is going to exacerbate any kind of coverage miscommunications now receivers traditionally are able to find um if they're good pros able to find common ground with the quarterback relatively quickly and i think that is something that i I do agree with ron on to a certain extent right so like when you're running a route obviously carson would need to get a feel for terry right and get a feel for how he runs routes get a feel for how he operates but at least terry's going to come in and know exactly what to do he needs to adjust to carson which to your point is significant right because carson sees stuff different he wants you to run your slant like this versus press. He wants you to run your uh, go like this versus cover two, run the post like this versus quarters, right? And that is part of being a good quarterback is communicating that to your guys and not having those reps here is, is significant. But I do think when you have a guy like Terry, who's of the utmost uh, professional, 
then it's not quite as glaring because I'm trying to think I played with a guy in oh, shoot was it Atlanta maybe it might have been Julio Julio missed like OTAs for an injury and everyone's like oh what's, what's gonna happen you know and then Julio came back in and Matt like would go during special teams and throw only with Julio and just talk only with Julio to make sure they were on the same page so because it's just a one-to-one it can the, the ground can be made up a little bit quicker it's not insignificant but it's not the same caliber of deal that last year's defensive secondary was at least in my opinion uh look th- th- this is uh you know this is the opinion that matters because i mean i can sit here on the outside and be like wait it feels like it's uh contradictory it- statements but yeah i get what you're saying and and, and i get the point it's a communication thing the, the, what you mentioned the meetings um it makes a lot yeah. of sense um and it's not insignificant but it's not it's not the same level as like all like three defensive backs not being there that started for you week one i guess is what i'm saying yeah, yeah. no i hear yeah. you um, all right, let me uh, bounce around here a little bit more. Let's go uh, back to the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, one of the big questions is Jamin Davis this year. Wh- how is he mm-hmm. going to develop? Now, I will just say this. I can give you this because you're not in this room, in the media room when, when we talk to the players. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of guys, you know, you had to go through this. You know, a lot of guys don't really like talking to the media, not because we're horrible yeah. people, but it's like awkward and weird. And you got to stand up there yeah. and answer questions and all that stuff. And he comes in last year as a first round pick. He's getting all this attention. And he came across as very shy and uncertain himself talking to us. I think he played that way. Okay. Yeah. He came in this week and I'm not saying he was magic Johnson, but like he was much more confident standing up there yeah. chest out. He felt he, he, he was giving us answers with purpose. And it feels like that's a reflection of the confidence that he's showing on the field from what I gather and from what I can, can see, but you're, you know, obviously paying attention. How, how do you see his comfort level out there compared to where we were a year ago? I definitely think that uh, that comparison is apt. I think you see a guy who's a little bit more confident. He's much more decisive. Like last year you'd watch me like, man, like he, he looks lost. And there are times where he still looks lost, but I will say on 90% of the snaps from OTA minicamp, like he's a guy like today, for example, I love this. Like there was a, tight formation to the left side of the uh, of the offense he's got the running back man-to-man and two weeks ago he got picked he got like the receiver picks him the running back runs to the flat it's a completion for a first down this week you see him he identified the formation the back took one step up and he didn't even hesitate and he just sprinted to the flat covered it the quarterback looked to throw it had to hold the ball it was probably a coverage sack right and again like that is a guy who's thinking at a higher level he's playing fast I think that's one of my favorite things is like He's peeling double teams downhill very quickly, which means he knows what he's doing. He's running sideline to sideline fast the football. Now, he's not getting all the reps, right? They have an interesting rotation. Like, Holcomb's the guy. He's going to play a lot. He's going to play 100% of defensive snaps if they can help it. And they're kind of big defensive front. Their Cinco package. Mayo's been playing the other linebacker. And then in their nickel, um, Jamin's been the guy. So it's been an interesting rotation for them. But I do think in the situations when Jamin is playing – he looks good. He looks much more confident, looks better. He's going to be a contributor to this defense. And again, he still needs to work on shedding blocks and tackling and all those things that showed up, you know, when he was in the right position last year, he didn't make the tackle or he didn't shed the block correctly. So those things in pads without pads on are still question marks, but in terms of his decisiveness, to the football, I think you feel much better about where he's at now compared to where he was the same time last year. Okay. And I was going to ask you about the, the depth, the linebacker depth and the depth in the back seven in general. It's just my easily. It's my, every year I get some yeah. 
pet topic that I can't shake. And this is the number one for me. It's right. every time I look at their depth, I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. But in terms of the linebacker, there seems to be, because I think some people who are casually observing it and they'll say, oh, I see David Mayo out there with the ones and Jamie Davis is on the side that as if there's like a competition, my view right. would be, no, there's no competition. Jamin Davis is the other linebacker, but that said of the 11 starters per se, nine are basically out there every play. I don't mean literally because obviously guys, especially on the defensive line rotated in and out, yeah. but like in general, nine guys are locked in Davis is the 11th spot. We'll get to in a minute. We don't, I still have no idea who the Buffalo Nichols or whatever, but the, the Jamie Davis is the guy but he hasn't definitively earned himself into the spot of being a guy like the other nine yeah. who are out there all the time. And because that, and look, you, you got to use some other linebackers at some point, they're trying to figure out what they yeah. have. And because they don't have an obvious other linebacker, I mean, the way like say at least John Bostick was the last couple of years, yeah. it feels slightly odd to be like, wait, why is David Mayo out there over Davis? So th- I'm just viewing it from what I've gathered is just, it's what you said. It's different packages. They're using different yeah. guys, but in general, it's Jamin Davis. And we'll see if he gets to the point where he's just out there all the time. Right. I think that's, that's a really, that's a really good point. I think, yeah, there are different packages and also like, you know, Cole's not practicing as much. So Mayo's out there a little bit more because he's kind of your flex piece. He knows all the different linebacker spots and you know what I mean? So I do think that I think Jamin's kind of the rotational guy right now. You know, it's like sometimes in the Cinco package, he's playing defensive end or like Sam on the ball. And then in the Cinco package, he's not in because uh, they've got Cam Curl as the Buffalo nickel and Holcomb in the box, you know, and then if it's true nickel, it's Benjamin St. Juiced, um, Jamin, and then Cole, you know what I'm saying? So Cole's kind of the piece that's in there all the time. And then in short yardage situations, they usually take Damon, uh, Jamin out and put, um, uh, mayo in there you know what i'm saying it just, it just depends on the situation what's going on i do think he's he's definitely progressing into this guy who is going to make it hard to take him off the field but he's not there quite yet and right. i think that that decision that finalization happens during training camp and uh preseason and so that again is again in terms of setting the table of anticipation that's something that i'm really excited to see um stay with the linebackers for a quick sec I was, i'm going to ask you sort of the idea of is there any sort of roster sleepers that sit stand out but today Rivera was asked hey are you gonna ever sign anybody yeah. uh, at linebacker he's like mm, we'll see but yeah he said he, he they've had the chance to look at some random guys on the roster and that two or three guys are standing out and maybe even one or two of them will stick he didn't say who of course um yeah I know Trey Walker one of the undrafted free agents had an interception the other day I thought he made a good read on the ball something was a pass from Sam Howell he's the um, guy from Notre Dame no he's the guy from Idaho Okay. Yep. I think okay. the guy from Notre Dame was like uh, Kevin White. There's a couple. There's a couple of guys in that third group that are yeah. kind of spinning in and out. Yeah. Right. So in terms of sticking, I think obviously Cleek Hudson's done a nice job. Mayo's done a nice job, and I think that's your your linebacker room. And I, and a lot of people say, well, that's not a lot of linebackers because no, mo- normal people carry like five or six. But those five and six guys are special teams players. And in this scheme with this personnel, obviously I mentioned this last time on your show, they have. Um, James Smith Williams and Casey Tuhill, who are both good special teams players. So you don't need necessarily to carry that extra piece if those guys are on the roster. And again, they are not in three linebacker sets like hardly ever, even in practice. Like I can't even think. I don't even think in, I haven't noticed short, one time yeah. I've used the, a four three base. Yeah. And so in short yardage situations, they get in Cinco, they bring in two linebackers, and that's about as heavy as they'll get on the linebackers, you know. And the other guy is Cam Curl. He's in the box. Like that's your your Buffalo nickel type guy. 
And again, that's kind of who they are right now. And maybe that's what they feel good about. And that's really kind of makes a lot of sense because that's what the NFL looks like in 2022, right? You need to have good coverage players on the field and that will linebacker. If you can have a safety body, there, a guy that can fit the run. And again, those questions are going to be really interesting when they put the pads on. How does Cam Curl handle that responsibility down in and down out? I think he's going to be fine because he's shown a proclivity for that. But again, that's kind of where the linebacker room is at right now. I think you've got your four guys. I think some of those young guys have shown flashes, but nothing, none of them have shown me enough to be like, wow, this is the guy. They've all made plays some days. They've made mistakes some other days, but I, I get what Ron's saying. I think you feel good about those first four guys. And then I'm sure one of those younger guys will, when the pads come on, will kind of separate themselves in the same way that like with the tight end room, like I talked to somebody in the building yesterday and they were like, man, everyone's looking really good. When the pads come on, that's when we'll see who's going to, who wants it the most. And I think that's, that's a very valid point. Um, and uh, Drew White is the Notre Dame linebacker. Just Drew, to, uh, okay, just thank sure. you. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, all right. So the, the last sort of broad question, the, the 11th defender, this mm. sort of ties into the linebacker, the Buffalo nickel, the, the standard nickel, whatever it is. I, we're, we're, you know, we're a month later than we talked last and, to me, it still feels somewhat open. Now that said, Benjamin St. Juice has been used a lot more in the slot, and that feels like they yeah. had to go today. That would be the the, the general yeah. answer. So that said, I guess, do you think that that's because they actually think the six foot three guy makes sense in the slot, or is it more of like uh, we don't really have a ton of like obvious options right now? So let's go with the guy we want to play, but we mm. want to keep Kendall Fuller outside, which is sort of the where are you kind of on sort of that view with, with St. Juice? I will say Benjamin St. Juice has looked outstanding in the slot. He's been my kind of, I think the first time we talked, they hadn't moved him in there yet. And right. they probably, I think it was like the sixth practice. So the, of the second week where he became kind of, that was his role. And he just grabbed with both hands and ran for it. Like, the defense got so much better once they made that transition. He's excellent in coverage from there. He's got really good instincts when it comes to playing runs. And now the thing about him that is concerning is obviously the, the concussion history, right? And do you want that guy fitting runs the way that Landon Collins fit runs? I think what they're in a, they're in a mode of right now of Benjamin St. Juice is the nickel as long as they can help it until they get into like a big personnel group offensively, which is like two tight ends or a tight end and a fullback. Then they go Cinco, they bring two linebackers in and they, they bring Cam Curl in the box as a rotational piece. So I think that is probably their answer right now for kind of that bigger personnel offense that they're bringing in. But I think they if, if there's any type, any question, Benjamin St. Juice is going to be the nickel and he should be the nickel. It's just the big question there is, can he handle some of those physical responsibilities that Landon had as the Buffalo nickel? Because essentially the, the responsibilities are the same. It's just the situation in which you're applying that position are slightly different. So I think that that's something um, definitely uh, – he, he deserves that. He's looked great. He's maybe, you know, he's definitely the most, most improved kind of defender. I don't say most improved, but like he's definitely shown in that role probably the most dramatically. And I think you feel really good about it minus the huge question mark, which is, can he handle the physical stuff um, in terms of run fits? And that is not an in, inconsequential thing playing that position. All right. I'm not even going to ask you about the Buffalo nickel because Del Rio the other day acknowledged what seems what seemed to be apparent, which was they kind of blew up that idea in part because Landon Collins didn't want to be called a linebacker, so they had to do something. So they, and Rivera's already said they it's, don't. Have it's okay. yeah, it's it's this it's the same schematically. The person is different. So the way I would say it is like you could play Landon on first and second down versus heavier for, uh, personnel offensively and felt good about it. 
because he could cover a slot receiver in a pinch, but he also could fit the run. Now you don't have that. So you have Benjamin St. Juice kind of in this nickel, Buffalo nickel hybrid type of role. But again, when the pads come on, do you feel comfortable with him taking on a guard? And I don't think the answer is yes. So I think you're going to find another solution there kind of to augment that Buffalo nickel land and linebacker situation. And I, I think it's the Cinco package, the five defensive linemen with Cole Holcomb and then maybe Cam Crow in the box, which I think is a viable solution. All right. Uh, Cause I got to get, re- get you out of here. We'll, I'll, we'll, 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 we'll fly through these. You can answer these as short or, or as long as he wants up to you. Last okay. time I asked you, give me a roster sleeper. Um, you know, somebody who's going to be on the back of the, you know, mix yeah. who could get on. And you went with uh, Chris Paul, the seventh round pick, um, interior yeah. offensive lineman. Don't have to be him. It could be somebody else, him or somebody else. Who, anybody kind of jumped out to you since we spoke last? That may be somebody to keep an eye on in terms of uh, sneaking on the roster. Yeah. Christian Holmes, the DB from, uh, o- Oklahoma, from? State. Oklahoma State. Yeah. Yeah. He has looked very sharp. Very sharp. I said Chris Paul playing guard. They've had him playing tackle more, so he hasn't looked quite as good as he did over the first couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah, Holmes has looked very, very sharp. I watched film with, um, uh, gosh, Sean, uh, old DB here. I can't Sean remember. Springs. Yeah, Sean Springs. Thank you. And he, Sean was just like, like I had been keeping my eye on him since I talked to you. I was like, man, this guy's doing a good job. And we watched four plays and Sean's like, who's this number 34? Like I didn't have to say anything, anything to him. He just identified his alignment, how he's playing the position, his vision. And I thought to myself, like if Sean is identifying him after four plays and I've had my eye on him for three weeks, he's my guy that I think is in a good position to make the roster. Um, all right. What is your, uh, I asked you last time, your biggest concern. And again, I mentioned mm-hmm. the idea of the guard, but you pivoted to the linebackers just because there was some uncertainty. We hadn't seen where yeah. Damon was or whatever. At this point, whatever it is, a player, a unit, a, a, yeah. a package, what, what's the one thing you're kind of like going into this, you know, going into this break here most concerned about? So it was the safeties. Uh, I think probably the before they moved Benjamin St. Juice to nickel. So probably the two weeks after I talked to you, that was a huge concern. I think I like Forrest. He's done a nice job, but they had him playing the post. I don't know if that's where what, what best suits him. He's got a role in this team because he's physical, he's aggressive the ball, but he gets lost in coverage sometimes. Uh, Percy Butler's coming on late here, had a pick uh, in practice today, showing good coverage skills in the slot. One of those guys needs to come along to give you some depth in the back end. I think you can bet on him to do that. But again, there's a question there. Benjamin State Juice to the nickel makes you feel better because now Cam Curl's in the safety, Bob McCain's in the safety. But if you don't want to live with that and you want Cam Curl to play your Buffalo nickel role, one of those younger guys needs to step up. So that's something... Again, I think I think the three starters are really good, but who's going to step up of those back guys? And when they do step up, can you get Cam Curl in a more dynamic role near the line of scrimmage? And I think that's something that would help this defense if that happens. All right, last question. So I asked you last time when you, when you just want to put on tape, when you want to cozy up with some football, you want to watch <laughs> something, what make what give you give you the warm fuzzies? What's that thing? Yeah. So we're going on like a six week break. You said you love watching football two weeks from now. You're Jones and watch something. What's the thing you're going to put on? You're going to, you, you got, you got, you got, you know, you have access to some things. What's the player? What's the thing that you're going to you know, warm yourself up by, by saying, I'm going to watch this player or this something. Uh, Jahan Dotson is the guy, man. Jahan Dotson has been so fun to watch over the first three weeks of the off season, four weeks now. Like he, he just gets it, man. He just gets how to run routes. He gets how to win. He's excellent change direction. 
I love the way he thinks about running routes. Like I could just watch him all day at practice, just watch how he sets stuff up. I get really mad when it's team run because I'm like, I don't get to watch him run routes because he's just doing it at a very high level. You know what I mean? And that's something that um, I love. You know, I love I love that you draft a guy high. I love that he fits the evaluation. Again, there's some questions in terms of how he operates when the pads come on. But um, yeah, he's he's exceeded my expectations and my expectations were very high for him. So uh, when I when I need the warm feels, the warm fuzzies, like I go watch John Johnson. I even I've I've found myself watching routes on air just to catch him running routes. Like that's how much I enjoy watching him run routes. So again, like a lot of a lot of he's not played a down of NFL football yet, but like at, at this point with the with the sample size I have, doing an excellent job. Um, fantastic! You did an excellent job. When I when I need to get some football talking during this break, I'm gonna put put back. I'm gonna run back this uh, table. Fast forward over my part. Uh, uh, go follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson eighty two. He does his film breakdowns there, and of course, you can check him always out on the Commanders website as well and the Take Command podcast. My guy, I really appreciate it. Have a good break, uh, and uh, you know we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up on the other side. Sounds good, man. Look forward to it. All right. Many thanks to Logan Paulson for his time. Um, I realize I, I didn't touch on the Terry McLaurin situation earlier in the uh, in the in the intro. We just sort of mentioned him in passing with Logan. Look, he did not attend minicamp. We addressed that earlier in this week. We talked about his contract with cap analyst Joel Corey. Uh, Ron Rivera continues to say they're not going to trade him. This is not new. He's been saying this the whole time. You can go check out my article from back in the owners meeting where Ron Rivera said we wouldn't even entertain it. So I don't really think there's a ton here other than the, that's different other than the fact that he's now missed the entire offseason program. And that is notable. I'm not going to say that it's not. I would just say that, you know, hold holdouts do happen. And, you know, because it's the commanders and it's lumped in with all their other issues, um, including, you know, this week there was the Jack Del, this, this past week, the Jack Del Rio comments that, that got a lot of attention. It always feels like the, it's always like everything's on fire around here. And there's often that is the case. I guess I would just say here, I'm not trying to tell you that you shouldn't be a little bit concerned about the Terry McLaurin deal. I mean, I still imagine that it gets done, but it is notable that he did not show up. I, I just don't, I would, I just don't think that Ron Rivera saying, that uh, it's not contentious or there's no issues or he imagines this is going to get resolved at some point here, how long it'll take, he you know, couldn't say. I, I just think a lot of this right now, it, it's just sort of rehashing kind of where we've been other than the fact that McLaurin skipped this week, which is different. So I, I don't really have a, a much to say beyond that. We will talk about it more, obviously, over the next few weeks. And as I said, Joel and I did a deep dive breakdown of his status uh, or the, the contract and what some of the issues are and so on. So you can go check that out. But, you know, I, I don't want to make it. It's a big deal, but I don't want to like, you know, sort of rehash things we've already discussed um, at length. Rivera, again, continues to say they're not going to trade him. Um, you know, I, I and we talked about this previously as well. Uh, there are the top six receivers right now who including A.J. Brown, who's part of the 2019 class, who are averaging $24 million per year. Um, again, that's with some of the funny money, but nonetheless, that's sort of the baseline. 
The number seven is DJ Moore with the Panthers, who's just a little over $20 million. My, my sense is that the gap is more like that McLaurin is sort of in the middle towards the upper end of that, and the team came in somewhere DJ Moore level or lower. And the question is, you know, who's going to budge? And my wonder is on the Washington front, are they at a number that they were at before the wide receiver market exploded and they haven't adjusted? Or is it just a matter of time truly and, you know, they're just waiting? I I don't know. I, 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 I think it's more of the former that there are there is a bit of a gap um, and, and that's taken some time to even sort of get um, remotely in the same ballpark from a conversation standpoint, but they've got time before training camp. Now that they've reached this point, having missed the offseason program, not saying there's not urgency, but what are you going to do? Um, you know, it's not it's not a huge deal. He's not going to miss any more practices until training camp. The one thing I would say, you know, I've been reporting about Deron Payne. Um, you know, I, I would be curious if somebody asked Ron Rivera, if you want to sign Deron Payne, but you probably need to sign Terry McLaurin first, isn't there some urgency between, you know, connecting one to the other? Um, I'm, I, I, you know, somebody else can ask that question. I don't think it's going to be me uh, because I kind of have my thoughts on that. But I think to me that would be an interesting one for sure. Um, but anyway, that's it. Uh, all right. But anyway, that's it. Uh, many thanks to Logan Paulson again for his time. Thanks to everyone for checking out the podcast. And uh, we will go from there. I- I'm not taking a break quite yet. We've got Congress Next week, Roger Goodell will be up on, uh, well, he won't be out on the Hill, but he'll be talking to the uh, Oversight Committee, and we'll, we'll go from there. And, of course, plenty more to discuss here on the podcast about the Commanders as well. But that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, see ya.